Just a quick heads up before you listen to this podcast. This was not originally slated to be a podcast on one of my shows. Uh, Rabbi Garfield, Rabbi Rachmiel Garfield, he's the head of school of our school here in Houston, and he has a podcast of his own called Chinuch Today. The word Chinuch is the Hebrew word for education, and it's a podcast about education where he speaks to experts about education and and schools and classroom management and curriculum management. Truth is, I haven't really listened to any of them, so I don't know what really, what really talks about. But we chatted a bit before he launched his podcast, and apparently he's doing, he's doing really well. And he reached out to me and my brother if we would be interested in being interviewed about what it's like to grow up as a Walby, you know, because my grandfather was a very famous and influential rabbi and also a very famous and influential educator, a pedagogue. So he wanted to speak to us about what, what it was like to grow up as a Walby and what are some of the lessons, some of the stories about my grandfather, a blessed memory of our grandfather, a blessed memory. And we agreed to be interviewed. And uh, a couple of days ago at the Torch Center in Houston, Texas, we had the interview, we had the recording. And when it was done, I asked him if he would mind if I actually cross-post it on my show, and that's what you're about to listen to. But I have to make a quick disclaimer before you listen. I pride myself whenever I speak on my shows to always speak in English and thus to not use any specialized lingo or any Hebrew words or any Yiddish words or anything that will not be understood by someone who is proficient in English because I want to make my content accessible. The Chinuch Today podcast that we were interviewed for, that is targeting uh, to a more niche audience. It's really to like Jewish education professionals who have a very strong background in Jewish learning. And thus, the lingo, though the way of communicating is a bit more specialized and there's going to be a lot more Hebrew than what you are accustomed to hearing on our shows. Uh, so there will be some words and some citations and some phrases and some statements that may not make sense to you. If that's too much for you, that's okay. But I thought it would be a valuable listen uh, for you nonetheless. Uh, we had a great rollicking time and we told all sorts of stories and I may have pontificated a bit, but you know, I have a weakness for that. I may have grabbed the microphone a bit too aggressively. Listen, no one is perfect, but it was enjoyable to record. I hope it is enjoyable to listen and hope you get something uh, positive out of it. And of course, my email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com. Okay, welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today. Another first for Chinuch Today. I've never had two brothers together, and I've never reached out to a cure of professionals to get their perspective on Chinuch, but you will hear there's something very special about this dynamic duo. I'm here with Rabbi Aryeh Wolby, the executive director of Torch, and his somewhat younger brother, Rabbi Yaakov Wolby, the director of Global Outreach at Torch. Good morning. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. So I always wondered what it would be like to grow up with a famous name. My last name is Garfield. I am famous for that, I must say. It is somewhat memorable, but it's not Wolby. And I remember when I first came to Houston and I had first one Wolby and then two Wolbys, and then I had two Shlomo Wolbys in my school. It always felt a little funny. Like, how do you discipline a kid whose name is Shlomo Wolby? Lucky for me, that's never been relevant 
for your children. So I didn't have to experience that. But nonetheless, well, Gar- guys- Garf- Garfield is a comic. That was hysterical. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's what I go by. <laughs> and every once in a while, I meet someone who claims they never heard of it, which is always fascinating to me. Really? Anyway, also a uh, president. And do you know what the third famous Garfield is? Garfield is a president. John Garfield was an actor, some kind of actor in the like forties or fifties. So President Garfield was assassinated, though. That is true. We don't focus on that aspect of his uh, presidency, but yes, yes, indeed, we're not related at all. Our name was some Yiddish version of something that turned into Garfield. Nonetheless, um, I'm happy you guys are here. And as I mentioned, the name Wolby being so famous because of your esteemed grandfather of Shlomo Wolby, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. And I thought he is known as the Mechanach Hador, the like, exceptional Mechanach educator of our time. And what an opportunity it is to talk about that a little and see what lessons we could learn and share with our audience about that great lineage. So as I always like to do is find out a little about you. I think we'll start with Aryeh because you were born first. Where did you guys grow up? So I was born in Yerushalayim, raised in New York and uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And then we moved to Muncie when I was 10 years old. Uh, just to go back on your introduction yeah. of what it means to grow up with such a name. Yeah. So till I was about 15 years old, it was fabulous. But when I was 15, I, I moved to Eretz Yisrael on my own and I went to an Israeli yeshiva and I saw the, the, uh, you know, like they have two tiers of, of law enforcement. So like some people they want to go after, so they get them. And some people they just let ignore, let, they let them go. I had that in yeshiva where like if everyone did something, it was fine because we don't expect Goldstein and Goldberg. We don't – Volbe. Oh, wow. Oh, you're going to be account- – and, and there was a point where I came to my father and I said, I want to not only leave this yeshiva, I want to leave this yeshiva and change my name before I go to a different yeshiva. Really? Yeah. I was I was so fed up with being held to a, wow. to a certain standard. That wasn't fear. I'm still a 15 year old boy. Give me, you know, cut me some slack. And Baruch Hashem, I try and I do everything I can for my son, whose namesake is my grandfather, to not pressure him to do anything that's not him. You be you. My grandfather was a great man. He was a special person and he did whatever he could to be the greatest he can be. You be the greatest you can be. But you don't have to be him. Wow, that's such a good message. And I, I think as the person being mechanach, your your son, and to all the mechanachim listening who might be in a similar situation, that's a great sensitivity. Not to say to a kid, you know, hey, you're Shlomo Wolby, like, what are you doing? That would be really hurtful. I'll tell you, many times over the years, I've had people say Shalom Aleichem, oh, what's your name, this and that. And then like, what, what, the, what did you say? What was your name? I said, Ari Wolby. And they'd stand up. They're like, oh, an ankle from the mashgiach. And it's like, you know. No, I'm still me. <laughs> Nothing changed. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, so it's people. And for my son, I've seen it numerous right. times where people would say Shlomo Aleichem to him and say, Shlom, you're Shlomo uh, Like, wow. Wow. That's a big name to live up to. And I would always turn to my son and say, like, don't think that you have to be Saba. You're not Saba. You're but you. Isn't there another side to this? Don't we walk around with pride that we're B'nai Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, we have to live up to a higher standard. I know we have some relatives who are Kohanim, and I always hear them say, like, you're a Kohen. You have to live up to that. You know, the Gemara tells a story about mm-hmm. the uh, son and daughter of Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol, the, the last Kohen Gadol that we had. And they were taken captive by the Romans. And um, they were kind of prepositioned to do something really bad unwittingly. 
uh, and they they said they 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 marshaled their their fortitude, the tenacity to overcome because I am a scion of Aaron Cohen of of Aaron the high priest. You have a Yeshivish audience. I could use. You could use Hebrew. I could, yes, I could use Hebrew. There's something to be said about knowing that you come from special stock. You don't come from ordinary stock. Of course, no Jew is ordinary. I know that. But if you come from, from, uh, Tarshishe Olam, right? Midez Tarshishim, you come from giants. You, you emanate from, from some of the great legends of our time. You should maybe lift up to that standard because you do have that greatness and that, uh, you know, that potential maybe coursing within you. Let's 100%. But when you have a, a young child who doesn't understand that and you try to put the pressure of a, a gadol hadar, that's not fair. And then they won't even make it so to first base. So these two. 100%. I, I remember. I'll tell you a cool story. Never said on the podcast. I'm not this one and not mine. Now with Chibach today. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> So when I was in high school, we had um, our Masifta, our high school, was located on the campus of Arsameach in Mansi, and the head, the dean of Arsameach was Rabbi Rakowski, who was a, a student to my grandfather. And I was a rambunctious high school boy, and I would walk around and stomp around and run through the halls. In uh, in you know in a in a, in a way fitting maybe of an of of kids right, but I remember once I was like uh, I was marching through the halls of Arsamach and I was either being very loud or you know, a bit obnoxious or something like that. I remember I kind of turned the corner and there's Rabbi Rakowski, and he's like a kind of a steery imposing person, and I you know and he, I didn't see him you know he came from the other side. I remember he took me like this around the shoulder, and he grabbed me on the shoulder. And he's like, "Do you know who you come from?" And he started speaking now about my grandfather. But my great grandfather, the great Ravram Grzynski, you know, the, the greatest Talmud, the t- greatest Talmud of, of the Alter. Uh, according to Rabbi Yaakov, according to, yes, the, the, the greatest Talmud. Zechel Kimikola Malai. This is my portion with all my toil is Ravram Grzynski. That's what uh, the Alter said about him. And he starts speaking about, about him. And I, I found that to be a very formative memory for me to know, to know where you come from. Know, who your ancestors are, know how, how, how great they became and that DNA courses within your veins. You have the capacity to do that as well. Did you experience any of the negativity? Of course. Me, it was more, it didn't cause me to want to change my name. Other stuff did, maybe. Ah, but the FBI will find you, are you? Oh, yeah, the FBI <laughs> No, no, not, not that. Um, but I, I, you know, you, the people, people will always say like in, in a mocking, sardonic way, it's not fitting. What would your grandfather say? Anything that they disagreed with, they just kind of channeled it. What, would your grandfather approve of that? What does he say about that? Uh, when, uh, when the, the Rebbe in Yeshiv Kadola, when he, uh, encountered me on the bus without wearing a hat, you know, she would, I supposed to wear a hat. Mm-hmm. He's like, so with me, me and a friend of mine, Yishai, Yishai, he doesn't, he doesn't listen to podcasts because he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so he gave us a whole speech. On the bus about the importance of a yeshiva student wearing the yeshiva garb, nice black hat, nice jacket. And, uh, he was speaking to him about it and speaking to him and speaking to him and speaking to him. And then he says, and to you, just look at what your grandfather says about that. So there's a lot of that, but mostly in, in good nature. Um, you know, 
and yeah, there is a certain kind of expectation that other people have for you and you're born ignorant and you're born with nothing and you're born you're totally oblivious to everything and there's a certain bar that people, you know, a certain standard that people have for you uh, baked, baked into, you know, your namesake and where you come from. And yeah, there is some downside to that, but maybe that's a good thing. I remember once, <laughs> I remember once um, I was davening chakras in a, like a shtibel in... Uh, in Yerushalayim. So this is like a minion factory, right? So they have a minion anywhere from five to five, right? <laughs> At 12 o'clock, you find a minion. So I was like a late minion. It was like after 10, you know, when all the uh, responsible people are ready a few hours into their day and uh, the laggards are putting on their tefillin. So I remember someone coming and like reading my tefillin back. And he's like, what are you doing here with a name like that? You have no business being here. Uh, so again, there are some uh, these uh, you know little things that you know where people like uh, my brother says they they hold you to a certain higher standard, but that's uh, that's okay. I guess it comes to the territory. Um, you know, maybe it's a downside, but maybe it's a good side. Maybe it's maybe it's a good thing to to know that you are you come from higher stock, whether it's true or not. I'm sure Ari would agree that there are some benefits to it as well. So. Oh, of course. I, you know, I I loved every minute of being together with my grandfather. Uh, I want to tell you an amazing story about Chinuch. That is not a secret, but so you don't have to do one of those breaking announcements. Not but, breaking announcement. Uh, I, w- I woke up in yeshiva one morning. I was in Oral Khan in Yeshiva Ktana, which is on Rehov El Kabetz in Givachol. And, you know, regular wake up is at seven o'clock. And the guy comes storming into my room. He says, Your grandfather's here. Your grandfather's here. So, regular, ordinary day. So, quickly get dressed like I would every morning. And get upstairs into into the base medrash to daven, and my grandfather's sitting right next to my seat, with his talis and tillin on, and with no announcements, no nothing. He just came to daven right next to me, and we davened the whole davening. Didn't say a word, nothing. On the way out, you know, I was helping my grandfather. Like, you know, it's nice to see you here. Like, what, you know? And that's it. And I just I walked out with him. I walked into his house. I had breakfast with him, like I had had many times. And that was it. I was always wondering, like, why did he show up in Yeshiva? Like, Mapetom. Like, and it's to me, it's obvious. Like, I was, I was dealing with a lot in that, you know, it was a total culture shock for me. I moved from New York to Eretz Yisrael myself without my parents there. And I went to it. It's in like an Ivy League Yeshiva. It's like the best of the best go there. I only went there not because I was, the right fit for the yeshiva, but because my grandfather's Talmud was the Rosh Yeshiva. So he called him up. He said, my grandfather, my, my, my grandson is coming from America. Can you take him into the yeshiva? He's like, oh, of course, no problem. But I couldn't read a Gemara. I couldn't read a, a Pasuk. I couldn't, I, nothing. And I went into, I remember seeing these Bacharim in the yeshiva reading Gemara like it was a New York Times, you know, newspaper. That was just a, and, and I was, no, but they were, they were pounding Daf after wow. daf after daf, mesechtas after mesechtas, and I'm struggling reading Arba Ovas Nazikin. Like reading, never mind understanding. And it was it was it was a point where my brother told me my parents were so concerned that I was just mm. going to drop out of yeshiva. Baruch Hashem, that wasn't on my mind, and and I was in for the fight. And it was it was the most incredible time of my life because I had to punch way over my weight. And eventually got to the point where I was hopefully 
up to par with the rest of the guys. It took a year, a year and a half, but it was a tremendous struggle. My grandfather sensed it. Mm. See, he's like, what can I do to give him chizuk? You know, what is he going to talk to my rabbeim? Like, what? Mm. I, you know, it's like I hardly spoke the language when I got there. Wow. But he could come sit and daven next to me and give me that feeling. And he knew his weight of what he carried and the covet that it would bring to me and the infusion of of positivity that it would bring to me that all the bachar, like, wow, like a gadol came to daven in our shul, in our, in our yeshiva. And walking out with him, you know, holding his tefillin bag was like the whole thing, you know, it's like just to build me up. Beautiful. And I want to add another point. I'm sure there's, there's a lot more to be said in this area, the benefits, so to speak, of growing up with a famous grandfather and a famous last name. I know for certain that our grandfather, Davind, prayed for our well-being and our success. Mm. I know that for certain. And sometimes I kind of, you know, pinch ourselves, pinch myself and say like, you know, how did we do this? You know, how did my father, like the family he built is just unbelievable parents. Like just the the, the family that they have and the, 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 the kids and the success that they're seeing with their, with their progeny, it's really uh, unusual. It's, it's unusual. And I know the answer. The answer mm. comes from his prayer and, and the righteousness of, of our illustrious antecedents. That that's playing out in 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 our lives as well. You know, I, I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. You know, we have uh, we have the big guns uh, fighting on our behalf. Beautiful. That's the feel of the parents. I will tell you an amazing story. My brother and I asked my grandfather. What what's the secret to your greatness? Like what like how did you get there? Like, mm. And he said that although he grew up in a non-religious home, for those of you who are listening now and didn't know that, it's a big shocker to many people. Like what? He grew up non from home. He said that More every morning. marginally religious. Perhaps. Not a Haredi home. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> the, the, he said that his mother every morning when she would tie his shoes would whisper in his ear, go be a Talmud Chacham, go learn Torah. Go be a Yari mm. And he says that those tefillas are the tefillas that helped him succeed. Wow. I will tell you that I did hear from Rav Hamnik, who was the mashtiach of my grandfather's favorite yeshiva, Yad Aaron, which all of us, all except for seven, me, <laughs> all seven of us besides Ferraria, we all went to this yeshiva. So he told us that um, when I was in the yeshiva, you know, I was with my older brother Yoni. He was there at that time. We overlapped. Yoni was there for the duration. He was there for, you know, seven, eight years. I, I couldn't handle more than a year and change. But he went to my grandfather and he said, the boy's doing so well. He might have uh, embellished that, <laughs> shall we say. The boy's doing so well. So Saba says, my grandfather said, it's the schus of the chazanish. It's the merit of the chazanish because my, grandf- my, my father's sandek mm. was the chazanish. So he said, he, he he pinned all the success, so to speak, on the Chazanish. And, he, and, and Rav Hamnit says, well, what about you? Oh, you know, you kind of downplayed that. But again, I know I know for certain, I know for certain that he prayed intensively on our behalf. And, you know. As, did, our, as did our mother. Of course. And and you you enjoy those those fruits, you know. Uh, the uh, forefather, Jacob. A uh, Yaakov, for those Yaakov who are listening to my yeah. He described tefillah prayer as shooting an arrow. Mecharbi ubekashti. 
He says he won a war with the sword and his bow. Sword, said Rashi, that's Talmud Torah. This is the final verse of chapter 48 of Genesis. Parak Memchas, beginning of Parshish Vayechi. He, he, he won a war with a, with a sword and a bow, with Torah and Tefillah. Tefillah is a bow. It goes, it goes, to, it travels great distance. Mm. And, and Tefillahs, like the fields of Avram Avinu, we still go back to them because they're still efficacious even now. So I, I really feel like, we, you know, that is some real ammunition that we have, um, helping us thanks to our, uh, very illustrious, meritorious, pious antecedents. Do you know what it was about Yad Aaron that he found so special, that yeshiva? I think there are a number of components. I think firstly is that it was a smaller yeshiva. And it was a yeshiva that was focused on the Talmidim. Mm. It was a very close relationship with the Talmidim between the Rabbeim and the Talmidim. Many of the yeshivas are too big and too understaffed to handle and really be mechanach. It means many yeshivas are just a yeshiva because it's a yeshiva. You come to learn and finished. But they don't feel the sense of achrayas to be mechanach. The, you know, even, even in Kail. You know, just because a guy's married doesn't mean that he doesn't need chinuch. And I feel that it's a tremendous flaw in many of the kailum that they're just, you're there, you come, you learn, you get paid, if you get paid, and and go home. But there's no relationship of chinuch with the hanhala, which is, I think, a flaw. Yeah, listen, my grandfather would lament this more than anything else, the fact that there's generations, in his words, generation, generations of very serious yeshiva students that are growing up without any chinuch, to use his words. That's what he says. Mm-hmm. There's right. no chinuch. And he, you know, we, we know, we spoke about this before we started recording, uh, about the Alter of Slabatka, which is the, you know, the greatest pedagogue of all time. Um, he was reprimanded by his teacher, who was the Alter of, uh, of Kelm. Because he had too many students, because mm. you know, there are 300 students. They were in Kelm, there were 40 students. That's it. The whole Talmud Torah of Kelm, 40 students. And he said to him, how could you be Mechanic when you have 300 students? You're not, you're not raising Talmudim, you're raising hats, he told him. And my grandfather said about himself that he matches out, I think I, I heard different accounts, either at 60 students or at 100 students. He could be, he could be responsible for the flourishing of between either, either 60, 60 or 100 students or 99. He wanted to keep it less than 100. And then my uncle, he should live and be well. My grandfather's hand-selected son-in-law, Rav Erlanger, was the Mashtiach and the Mir Iflapush. He said, well, if Saba could handle 60 Talmidim, I could handle 30. Hmm. But the point is, is that you have yeshivas today. Someone told me this recently. There are more than 15 yeshivas in Israel with more than a 1,000 students. Wow. How could you possibly know? How could the Mashtiach or the Rashiva or the Bachanach, whatever, how could they know what someone is, you know, what a 1,000 guys are going through? A thousand guys are going through. He, my rabbi used to talk about Rabbi Rucham, Rabbi Rucham, the legendary Rabbi Rucham, when he came back to the Mir Yeshiva after World War One. With and there were three hundred bachim there in the yeshiva, so he was the, he, he was the head of the yeshiva. He was the mashgiach, but he was you know functionally the head of the yeshiva before the war. After the war, the the yeshiva was fragmented, it scattered. He came back after three months. After three months, Rabbi Rucham said, "I know the qualities." Of every single bachar in this yeshiva, 300 wow. bachar. And most of them, they're flaws as well. That's a real mechanic, to actually know, to have a sense of the, of the spiritual physiology, the spiritual makeup of your Talmudim, and to know how to, how to guide them, how to direct them. What's his derech? How do you know? 
So a real pedagogue, a real mechanic, is someone who's able to really understand the tchunas and efesh, the qualities, the shorsh and shama, the essence of of their talmidim. And Rabbi Rucham was the master of that. Yad Aaron is a vestige of those yeshivas of the past. Most they, 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 that, that kind of chinuch, sadly, is basically extinct. Basically extinct. That's why my grandfather wrote Alei Shur, Volume Two. It's a self-serve form of chinuch, form mm. of adracha. That's what he writes. He says it doesn't exist anymore. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preserve, I'm gonna preserve this way of, of, of training. That way it can be a, you know, self-serve guide for people growing up in a world. Beautiful. I believe the Balatanya says the same thing about the Tanya, why he wrote it. Was because he wanted to make it a self-study for people who want a initiation into Hasidus. Uh, it's a precedent for that. So you're probably wondering why I didn't go to that yeshiva. So one of the Rabbeim, yeah. One of the Rabbeim, Rav Beryl Eisenstein, Zechet Sadek Levracha, uh, the year before I was going to Yeshiva Gedela, which I was going to go to Yadaran, he left the Yeshiva and opened his own Yeshiva. Mm. And my grandfather thought it was best that I go to learn by him because he was in Yadaran. Mm. And he left Yadaran, started his own Yeshiva. And I was very, very, very close with him. Very close. For years till he was Nifter. And an interesting thing about always having a Rebbe, a Mechanach, someone to look after your spiritual well-being. Um, a few days before he was Nifter, obviously unbeknownst to me that he was going to pass away a few days later, I was walking with my brother Yoni, and uh, we were walking down uh, Panimirot Saratskin, mm-hmm. where I lived and where my Rebbe lived, and we were passing by his house Friday night. And we're like, you know what, let's just go and say good Shabbos to Rebbe. I went in. I knew he wasn't feeling well, but I didn't know that he was deathly ill. And he was slumped over his Gemara. And I asked him, Rebbe, how are you doing? How's, how are things going? So he says to me, like in, in a confusion, like, where are you learning now? I was in Kail by Rebbe Berkowitz, or Yitzchak Berkowitz. And he says, oh, he's a Yashar. Make him your Rebbe. Mm. And I said, Rebbe, are you going someplace? And sadly, three days later, he was Nifter. Wow. And I went from the Levaya, I went straight to Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz, and I said, Shalom Aleichem Rebbe, Rebbe Yomayri. And I said, you know, if you're going to be my Rebbe, I need to have quality time so you get to know me and I, you know, that we can, and um, we spent a significant amount of time every week together learning Becharusa, the uh, teachings of my great-grandfather, Bavram Grzynski, one of his favorites, Farm Teres Avram. And in the process, he got to know me very, very well. Until this very day, I learned with Rabbi Berkowitz, I talk to him every week. Wow. And there are many times I'll ask him for guidance, counsel, which is only appropriate based on knowing who I am. And there are times where he'll say, I know you, and either do this or don't do this, you know, based on what he you knows about me. think it's realistic on a macro level for everyone to have a relationship like that with a Rebbe? Maybe not with the same person, but I'm sure no. there are plenty of rabbis out there who yeah. are, I hope, that are qualified to get to know their Talmudim well enough to give them guidance I, I do think and this counsel. is a, a two-sided problem. I would agree to your point that there's um, a dearth of people who want Rabbeim on one side, but there's also a dearth of people that are willing to give themselves over to their Talmudim, to their students, right. to their I mean, charges. the way you're describing it, it's quite a serious commitment on Rabbi Berkowitz's. On both sides. Yeah. On both sides. Look, you have to pursue it. You have to pursue it, and it's not going to come easy and I fought, I, I literally drove him crazy until he gave me the time. I'd be waiting outside his office. Every time that door opened, I'm like, does Rebbe have a minute? And like, and, and, and Mamish nudging him till he gave in. 
and he relented. And guys think it's just going to be like, oh, I'll set up, a, I'll ask him, oh, he said he doesn't have time and so I guess it's just not going to happen. Right. If you're not going to fight for it, if it's not important enough for you to really, really pursue it, it's not going to happen. No, no rabbi is calling his Talmud saying, hey, you didn't call me today. Why didn't you call me for advice? He has, he's a very busy person. I have to fight for his time because it's very valuable to it's me. It's only got harder over the years, right? And, and Baruch Hashem, every time I've made the attempt to reach Rebbe, I was able to. Wow. You know, he knows it's important. I'm not driving him nuts. I'm not asking him about right, the score no, of the Astros. Right. I'm asking him important things that are either relevant to me personally, to my family, to my ke- to the Kehila, to, to the organization, to our students, to Klal Yisrael. So, you know, it's dealing with a lot of different things and he knows I'm not wasting his time. There are times we have a set a lot of time. There are times where I'm, I, I only have five minutes of questions, not 15 minutes. I say, Rebbe, I'm, I'm done. I, your time is precious. I'm not going to just schmooze for the next 10 minutes because I have this time. I know your time is important to you and to Claudius Yisrael. So, you know. Nice. I don't know if you guys know, but I learned in, let me say that again. I was lucky enough to learn in Givachal near your grandfather's house and got to interact with him all those years. I was there in 94 to 98. Preshburg. Preshburg, and then he opened the yeshiva down the block on top of uh, Berkat Rachel. And I used to go Friday night to Shmuzin, and I, I got to speak to him a few times. And um, one of the things that really stands out in my mind is the way he held himself, the way he would carry himself, extremely distinguished and disciplined. You didn't. You got the sense that he took life seriously, and he almost took every move seriously. Like that was the impression I got at that time. And I'm curious, as a grandfather, you know, growing up with him, was he? Did he have two modes? Was he more playful? Was there a side of him that we didn't get to see? What was he like behind the doors of his apartment? Well, you're describing him, I think, very accurately. That he he was very measured. Uh, and this is actually one of the hallmarks of all the Bali Musa, is that uh, they would not move unless it was calculated. You know, the aforementioned altar of Kelm, my grandfather writes this. I could show you the citation later. I'd have a lot of citations I need to show you. He says, uh, my grandfather says about him, his eyes never moved. His eyes never moved. If he wanted to see something to the side, he would move his whole head. His eyes were laser focused right in the middle and he would move his whole head. And, uh, you know, Baruchim used to always speak about uh, COVID Rosh, about uh, about having a certain, you know, gravity where you're not just, uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, yo-yo, uh, you know, uh, gyrating to every whim of the Eight Sahara. You're, you're, you're in control. I, I would say the essence of Musr is self-control, where your higher intelligence, your das, is determining your behavior. Not just, well, you know, oh, you hear a noise, oh, back and forth, hey, what do you think? I need this, I want that, and you drink that. No. You're in charge, you're, you're kind of your higher self, you're overconscious, not unconscious. Mm-hmm. The, the, the neshama really is determining your behavior. That's, that's the Bali Musr in general. But he definitely had a very, very playful, uh, persona. And he, he was. Uh, he was so sweet, so funny. Um, Great sense of humor. Yeah, hysterical. <laughs> Great sense of humor. <laughs> really? But, but it, I'll put it into perspective in a yeah. second. Like, we never talked about sports cars and uh, baseball or any sports. And that was not a – I mean, that was not – in the realm of Kedusha, in the realm of holiness, in the realm you know, of family things that he was involved with. But it, you, you couldn't – have just a conversation about just worldly things. It wasn't, uh, you didn't talk politics with him. It wasn't, you, no schmooze, like small talk. 
But I will tell you an example that my grandfather gave many, many times about kalos rush is like people swing their head without even thinking about what they're doing. He would say, so right now, you know, this is, I remember this is in, in Chumashir that he was giving in Givachol. Uh, he's saying, if someone walked into the door now, into the room, how many people would turn their head to look who it is? Mm-hmm. What does it make a difference who it is? But if someone behind you says Kaddish, everybody turns around. It's because there's no, there's no Kvedus Rosh. There's no, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing, I'm about to do, and to think about it before you do it. My grandfather, we would have a Vad with my grandfather of all the grandchildren. The day before this man, we did this many, many times. My grandfather repeated the same thing over and over again. And what he would say was, you need to work to overcome your impulse three to five times a day. What does that mean? You have an impulse. Right now, I, I want to take a go, leave the base medicine, go get a drink. You know what? I'm going to do it in three minutes. Just to have control, self-control, three to five times a day intentionally to overcome your impulse. Wow. And that the benefit of that is, number one, is you get that creative rush of, you know, you don't just do things. You think about it before you do it. But also, it helps you in a very practical way. If you're about to get angry, but you're trained to overcome your impulse, you can overcome that anger because of it. And it's the same thing with every every media you can Trans- think of. It, it's because you're thinking before you're doing. Well, he writes that that's what das is. You know, das is the it's a hard word to translate, but it is described as the alpha character characteristic. Because with that you can acquire everything, like the Gemara says. Talmud says that with one characteristic you can get everything. Well, what's that? It's das. It's the capacity to. They made a famous song out of it. Yassid Green. Did the obey cool obey? Whoever has das, you have everything. If you don't have das, you have nothing. I think I read Rabbi Sarasalanter said that the, his main focus was das atzmacha, ideas atzmacha. <laughs> oh, that's the same idea. It's a, it's a similar idea, but but the way he describes das is that you know you have a higher the, the, your your intelligence, your neshama really is determining your behavior, not your itzar, your impulses, and uh, and the way and he quotes Rabbi Rucham that the way you do that is that you train yourself to to reject your whims. And your uh, your petty impulses. I think his background is really interesting. Ari, you mentioned that he came from a more secular background or less observant background, whatever that exactly means. We'll leave that for the biography that hopefully is coming out sometime. But anyway, I'm sure we'll not mention that. But um, how do you think his childhood impacted how he saw the world or how he evaluated um, the world as a from Rabbi? I, I I don't know. Yaakov probably can answer this much better than I can. He's done significantly more reading into my grandfather's logs and books and writings and diaries than I did. But I, I think it, it's remarkable how normal he was coming from the background that he came from. He didn't grow up in a yeshiva world. Mm-hmm. He immersed himself in that yeshiva world when he went to the mirror. And completely took it over. He absorbed it 100%. And uh, that became who he was. So, you know, whatever he grew up with and the whatever, let's call it, quote, baggage he had growing up, uh, that was out, mm. you know. I, I'd push back on that a little bit. Um, Rabbi Rucham 
was very dedicated towards his development as a student. And he's German, grew up in Berlin, but not, not just, he didn't just live there. He, he was German in, in, in character. He's very precise and very meticulous and very thought out and, you know, um, an, an, an engineer kind of mind and very yekish, as we would say, very precise. And uh, first of all, the acute story is that uh, my grandfather was once davening with Rabbi Yuchum. I think that has different minion or whatever. And he, he closed his eyes to daven. And then he, he I told you the story. I told you the story. And then he opened up his eyes in the middle of davening and he sees eight inches from his nose is Rabbi Yuchum staring at him. <laughs> Can you imagine how terrifying that is? <laughs> staring him because he's really trying to study him. He's a real pedagogue. He's really trying to study and understand him. But uh, there was a story when, when my grandfather arrived to Yeshiva to the mirror. Rabbi Rucham was having a conversation with some of the more senior students um, about what do we do with this new project, you know, this, this new Shlomo slash Wilhelm. His father named him Wilhelm after, after the Kaiser, most likely, you know. His name was Wilhelm. All the Germans had secular names. So there was Wilhelm. Shlomo was his Jewish name, but he was known as Wilhelm. What do we do with him? You know, how, how do we, how do we, Figure out how to how to build him. So the guys all said, "You have to yeah, his Yekishkeit, his, his his German character trait is just too much. You have to rip that down." And he says, "No, you have to build him on it. You mm-hmm. have to take that and use that to build, so to speak, his spiritual edifice." And I think if you look at his at at, at the legacy that he built, you see a lot. Of course. Any of the heresies, so to speak, that he was exposed to, he completely uh, repudiated, including, by the way, including psychology. He started off as being much more receptive to secular psychology, and then he made a complete 180. There was a little noise there. I'll repeat that. And then he made a complete 180 uh, where he completely repudiated it. When was that? I have a letter. I have a letter where he writes he, – he details his, his change and shows how secular psychology is really against Torah. So he, he does change. He does talk about psychiatry. Are we talking as like in the, in the 70s and the 80s? I, I don't know. I, I don't want to. I, I think it was a little bit, it was, I think it was probably in the, in the 70s or 80s. It was, I mean, later it, was it was, it was deep into his from life. It wasn't like he, it's something he, that really he worked on and thought about and years of reflection. Yes. And came to that yes, conclusion. He came to the conclusion that Hazal, Hazal are the, are the best at this at, in, in human psychology and the psychological psychology is, is corrupt. It's wrong. That's the conclusion he, he arrived at. You and I at. started an essay. About psychiatry, yeah, psychiatry and religion, yeah, it's an amazing. So essay. was that before? No, that thing that that he that he, he stood by psychiatry versus psychi- psychology. Oh, got it. Okay, but if you look at his at his Torah, at his persona, at his at his legacy, at his voluminous writings, you do see, I think, some of the uh, fingerprints of of his of his upbringing. You know, his father was a was an academic. His father was a linguist. His father was a writer, which are you know. Traits that you would you associate a lot with kind of like, you know the German stereotype you know thought out you know history and you know th- thinking about things but being very precise you know, language you see that in his writing you know, the language in his writing in his writing is just masterful his command of language you know he himself he wrote books in 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 Swedish because he was in Sweden during the war he wrote a book in Swedish like <laughs> he has a command of the language he, he adopted it and language uh, to such an extent that he was able to actually write a, a full length book wow. in in Swedish but. In, in general, I think his his Torah was was very brilliant, 
it, it wasn't so much um, the kind of traditional muster that we think of as um, you know where people just you know say things that feel good and you know it was all based upon Hazal and building 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 a, 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 an entire treatise starting from from the bottom and building up until he's you, you create this you know incredible picture incredible portrait that is to me a little bit more of a kind of an academic you know a brilliant academic way to uh, to to portray Taurus. I think that yes, he did repudiate uh, a lot of the German, uh, you know, the German upbringing to a certain extent, anything that was not Torah, and he did not go with the opinion of Rav Hirsch. He was not, even though they had the same the same birthday, um, which uh, is maybe of note. Um, but he did not go with the opinion uh, of of uh, of Torah Derech He he didn't believe in that, and he actually pushed back against people that because you know he didn't think that that was the right way to, the right way to go. But I think. You, you look at his unique persona and his unique personality and his unique contributions and his unique way of, of, of approaching problems. I think you do see still some of the, the good parts, if you will, of his German, uh, upbringing. As you were describing that, I was thinking about, uh, Ruvin Leichter, the Mashkiach, who I think was one of the major Talmidim of, yes. of, of yes. Mashkiach. And he also has a very creative approach and a very unique and, I think he has an interesting background too. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but very similar to my grandfather. Interesting, right? And he Swiss, uh, yeah, but also was a Baljuba. Mm-hmm. who who didn't, you know, that creative thinking, that will, willingness to rethink something, mm-hmm. which is what it takes to become a Baljuba, right? You have to be open to rethinking things you thought you knew, and and live with those conclusions. I think it's very much part of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me ask you, who do you think is continuing his legacy? Most, I mean, outside of the family, I don't want to make this uncomfortable for you, but are there any particular people who you feel really were, uh, star Talmudim, so to speak, who, who you would look to, to discuss what he might have thought or his mission? I think probably Rev Leuchter and Rev Uri Weisblum. Uri Weisblum is the Mashkiach in Nachos Halavim in Haifa. Oh, wow. Americans don't know who he is. <laughs> no, he's on the Mayat. He's on the Matzis. So it gives you a sense of, of the He's kind of caliber. Is there? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. She writes Svarim? He does. What do they call it? Haaras, a bunch of Haaras stuff. Haaras Haderach. Haaras, lots of Haaras. Hey, Aleph, with an Aleph. Not a Haara, like an insight. Oh, like or Illumination. Yeah, the illumination of Tefillah, illumination of... Not available in English, sadly. But what I think it is it is unique about about all the... All the polymusar is that they all charted their own path. My grandfather was different than Birukham's other, other Talmidim. You know, he, he, people couldn't even believe that he would become the bearer of Birukham's legacy, which he did become, because there were so many bigger Talmidim, you know, in, in, in his time. But you look at Birukham's Talmidim, you know, and Ramnachem, Pratsavich, or Rab David Pavarsky, you know, uh, or, or Blade Malin, these, you know, or Pancho Levis, these are all Go'one Olam, giants, uh, and they're all Talmidim of Birukham to, you know, to a certain extent. And they each kind of built their own way. And my grandfather did, a, did, the, did the same personally, but also with his Talmidim. Uri Weisblum, as I mentioned, and Rav Leichter are very different. They're very, very different. <laughs> They're very different. And, and, and that's a good thing. The, so maybe there, the, is, the, there wasn't a mold where he uh, said, yeah. you're, you're going to fit into this mold. And anybody who sees him says, oh, that's it. Each one is uniquely different. And that's enough, right? Yeah. Everyone has to be different. It's really interesting because I'm reading a Muster Sefer now that's uh, somewhat historical. And it was contrasting Kelm and Slabatka. And that was one of the key characteristics that it contrasts, that Kelm did have a more identifiable tzura, and Slabotka, Tafka didn't. Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like your grandfather was really a Talmud of, of both, or he was more of a Kelmer, but yet he took on this 
this aspect was more Slavotka. Well, I think that certainly, you know, he would attribute uh, his Mahalach more to Rabbi Rucham than anyone else. And, um, and the idea of creating a certain generic kind of Talmud was completely, completely anathema to him. And, uh, if anyone is just, if anyone's just doing things because everyone else does it, going with the flow, just being the same and not really developing their own creative, um, personality and their own and relationship with Hashem, and really relationship with, yeah. with, with Hashem, like that to him would be totally intolerable because that's the antithesis of Chinuch. It's antithesis of, of, of Chinuch. To, to, to just be generic in any way. He's like, uh, like quoting the Chazal, Tamachacham Shemes. Is irreplaceable, the Gemara says. The Gemara says you cannot replace. Ain't, ain't, ain't Tmura, so even that's not really Lush in the Gemara, but there's no Tmura, there's no replacement. Everyone else to be replaced. A real Tamachacham is someone who is so unique, they're not replaceable because there, there is no parallel. So the idea of, of, of finding a, a certain mold and this is our type, that is, um, uh, definitely against, uh, against the, the vision of my grandfather. Who, who is upholding the legacy? Listen, I think he was really worried that Musser is dying. He was really, really, really worried about that. In, in his tzava, in his last will and testament, uh, much of it is dedicated towards the perpetuation of the base of Musser and Musser and, and to, to announce by the Levi that the base of Musser will continue. And he, and he would, again, he would really, really lament the fact that Musser is, is dying. And it's, it's sad because like we said earlier, there's just, you know, generations of, of kids being born and being raised without chinuch. And that is a disaster. Is Musser and chinuch the same thing? I think so. It's, it's a certain kind of, it's, it, it, it is a form of chinuch. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeshivas have Musser seders. The modern yeshivas have. He differentiated time. between limana Musser and chachmas Musser. Okay. And avodas Musser. You know, he said that, yes, thankfully, he wrote this, thankfully, the, you know, the perfunctory, you know, check the box, Musser seder is still present in most yeshivas, not all, but most. Uh, which by the way, hold on, but not in Kolo, which is interesting. Continue. But, uh, but the, 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 the Chachmas Musser, the Vodas Musser, the, the actually application layer of Musser is, um, sadly kind of going extinct. Mm. Do you find yourselves trying to fulfill that in your own lives, in your own Avodas Hashem? I do. I try to. Like to really, uh, um, harken back to the Musser that your grandfather was talking about? Look, I, I make a tremendous effort to learn my grandfather's Torah as much as I can because mm-hmm. it brings me back into that realm, it brings me back into that, you know, making a kvios for, for Musar every day, making a kvios of like learning what my grandfather says of the Yisaitis that every band Torah needs to, needs to learn and have a, a grasp on. So definitely to me it's, you know, obviously there are things that always need chizuk, but um, to try to live up to that uh, expectation is definitely something in the forefront. I, I feel very guilty that I don't learn Musser Bes Bailas the way Yisrael. What does that mean? To well, well, that that was the Kiddush of the, Hiddush, the, the inside of, of, of Yisrael. is not just Limit Musser, it's Musser Bes Bailas, which is it's a like form an indoctrination. Of, no, it's more, more than that. It's not indoctrination. No, it, it's a form of really self-hypnosis hmm. where you, you take – 
he told you how to learn Musar. Your lips are aflame, but spilus with with a certain I don't know how to translate a spilus. Um, Inspiration, know, excitement. Yeah, it's like a certain, yeah, certain, certain excitement. Energy. You take a, a citation of Musar, and you think about it, and you understand it, and you read it, and then you sing it, and you repeat it again and again until it just enters your bones and changes you forever. That was his system. It's so, funny because I'm reading the Sefer that I mentioned to you, and it talks about that a little, and the hours that were spent on that. And my initial reaction was, what Bittal Tyra? <laughs> like, think about Gedole Olam spending an hour or two hours on a mantra? Listen, we know what the Chafetz Chaim, the Chafetz Chaim was definitely a proponent of this. First of all, he wrote it in, in, in Mishabur. But there are stories. He writes about what? In about learning a half hour Musa a day. Really? First page. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> but he would do it. There are, there are testimonies of people hearing Hours. him saying again and again and again and again. Uh, you know, a certain, I forgot what the, what the, what, what, what I think, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was, don't quote me here. I think it was, Stagbush Lashadvarm. You're quoting yourself. Damayin Bosson, he was saying again and again and again and again and again. Who's the grandfather? No, no, the time. Oh, the time. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do feel, I like to your point, I do feel guilty because I know how powerful it is. Like, really? The, the, the absolute, uh, people that put all the psychologists, Jung and, uh, and, 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 and Freud and all of them to shame are the masters of Musa, are Rabbi Sral, are the altar, any version of one of them you want. And they said, this is the way to do it. If one of Muslim our listeners violence. wants to learn more about that, how would they access that? Rabbi, Rabbi Sral says, if you want to change, change without muster is like seeing without an eyeball. It's like see, it's like hearing without ears. That's the words that he says. Wow. It's not possible. It's not possible. Not possible. And again, he, and he outlined the way to do it, and it works. You look at the Bali muster, and they're 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 princes of humans, princes. So where is this outlined? I mean, or he's in those same yeah, well, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And and you can find has, my grandfather has a whole hadrocha lelimud muster. Yeah. Is that Chayla Galaf? yeah. Interesting. So I, I do feel guilty. And I, I mean, that, that I is know, not a I practice, know, right? I know, I know, I know that this is how you actually change. This is it. Um, I do, like my brother um, uh, says, I do really, really try to learn my grandfather's tire a lot. And I try to perpetuate it in my, in my classes, in my podcast. By the way, can I make a shout out for my podcast? Of course. So all the listeners to the Chinuch Today podcast. It's only a thousand bucks. Go ahead. Help yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you like uh, what we have to say here, both my brother and I are uh, proud hosts of um, a bevy of podcasts. Just put in Walby. A bevy? Bevy. Bevy. A bevy. A slew. A slew of podcasts. I think between the two of us, we have 11 podcasts. Huh? A lot. Wow. A lot. Thousands of episodes. That's weekly, for the record, <laughs> or monthly. So uh, you could just put in Wolby or whatever you live. Yes, I must happened. say that Yaakov Wolby was a mentor of mine in the podcast area. And, fast fact, he named the Chinuch Today podcast, Chinuch Today. That's right. That's why I get a free shout-out without $10,000. That's right. Okay. Nice. We'll, we'll credit you. Uh, but in my in my work, I always try to you – know, we had a discussion earlier. About Chinuch, we had a nice uh, spirited debate that was not recorded. Maybe for our next episode, if I get invited back, if I'm not blacklisted. But I, I did say that, you know, my grandfather says something. And to me, that's authoritative. You know, if, if he says it, that's it. To me, that's Allah Chumash Messinai. Um, so I do try to uh, learn my grandfather's Torah, perpetuate it in any way that I can. Uh, but I, I do, you, you hit a sore point that I really do feel guilty that even though I do learn Musar, um, and I do learn my grandfather's Torah and I do try to perpetuate it. The Musr Behisvailas, which is the actual Musr. Um, 
you know, space of mind. Is that an expression? Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of, uh, you have to have space for it, right? You have to have time. It has to be quiet. Who has an hour and a half of time to like? Half hour, half hour a day. Okay. Listen, uh, you look at any one of the giants, the Ramchal. Ramchal says that you have to, the Gemara says, the Gemara says that you have to do Cheshbon and Efesh. Mm-hmm. It's a Gemara. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not some new age Muslim. Some Wolbeism. Yeah, it's like, it's a Gemara. The Gemara says that the people that are, are the ones that actually change are the ones, uh, who, who do a Cheshbon and Efesh. Al-Kain Yomru HaMoshlem Bo Cheshbon. Who's the Moshlem Bo Yitzro? Who's the one who controls their, 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 their Yitzhahara, which is all we're trying to do. It's those who, who, who said, Bo Cheshbon, Bo Nachashbon Shalom. Let's make a Cheshbon and Efesh. And Ramchal writes, Derech Etzchayim, that, it's the most valuable of uses of your time. And he says you should do it, ready, a minimum of an hour a day. Right. <laughs> so if it's the best use of your How time. How many people alive today are doing that? What do you think? An well, hour of his pilots a day. Well, you know, this is just for clarification. Rabbi, Rabbi Saul says do a half hour of Muslim pilots every day. Ramchal says an hour of Cheshman a minimum, sorry, a minimum of an hour of Cheshman and mm-hmm. every single day. Which, by the way, Breslov says as well. Yes. An hour? Though, yes. Yes. Even though okay. I think it might be a little bit different, the the the, the work of the, the method. Yeah. The method is different, but to, to, definitely. Okay. So maybe the last ones that we're doing it is, is, is well, Spreslov. Let's take a moment and talk about Mrs. Wolby, uh, the the Mashkiach's wife. I don't. I know she was the daughter of, as you mentioned, the great Taras Avram, Avram Gazinsky. I don't know much more about her or what she brought to the relationship and the experience. I thought maybe that would be of interest. I was very close with my grandmother. She was a very, very special lady. And it's hard. I, I, I've never been able to put words to our relationship. We just had a certain love that was just, it was just a joy. Every time I came to the house, you know, it was, it was a fun time we had together. We would laugh together. We would, we would kibitz. We would, we, we just, we, we had a very, very close relationship. And, uh, she even at times when she was getting a little older and she needed, uh, medical oversight and i was not an emt at the time uh so she taught me how to check her blood pressure and i'd come every night and check her blood pressure and she you know we would laugh as you know she'd call me dr volbe <laughs> and it was it was a real we had a, we just had a great time together she was a very very special woman she'd go learn mishnayis every day with the, they had this women's club in givachol where the women would uh would learn mishnayis together and they would they would you know she what? would yeah it was like what Mishnayis? I, I don't know. I don't know. But she was in, you know, aside for Tehillim groups and all the other things that, you know, she was involved with. But she was, yeah. every time, every Friday, there was a a bag filled with cakes for all of the grandchildren. Hmm. Every gran- grandchild came That's to visit. That's a lot. Visit. Yeah. Every grandchild would come to visit and they'd get, they'd get their, their stock for the uh, for the week. Wow. It was uh, an incentive. She to came come. over. I know she was born in Slobotka, I guess. And how yeah. did she she escape before the war, or did she suffer for, during the war? After yeah. the war, she came after yeah. the war. Yeah. Well, um, she went through the horrors of the war, and she wrote a book about it, which I recommend everyone reading it. Faith in the Night, the Emunascha Balelos. So I would I would recommend that. Published by Israel Bookshop. Published. Just, I don't know, Google it. They just reprinted it. It's an amazing, amazing work. You have it. Okay, good. Um, but I, I, I would say more about her. She was a great grandmother, you know, you know, great as in descriptive, but she was, she had, first of all, she, she had a nobility to her. 
She, she had a nobility to her that was very uncommon. Very uncommon. Um, her father was like that as well. Her father was like a Malach Hashem, you know, but she, she had this nobility that's just hard to capture in words. Uh, she also had a, a strength of character, uh, almost like a, like a, a steely vise in, in a pleasant way, all, all pleasantness. But what she endured in her life, we cannot even fathom. You know, her mother died when she was very young. And she was responsible for raising the whole family. You know, her, her father was handicapped. You know, was handicapped, but also he, he was consumed with the yeshiva. Was he handicapped uh, all the years since he, he was a teenager? He what had, was his he handicap? Had, he, he had a like a, a his leg, he had to drag his leg. Really? Yeah. Uh, but he himself was just also a portrait of, of nobility during the war, which what she went through, and she always maintained this sense of, of august nobility that it's hard for us to fathom. Regal. Yeah, very, very regal. And I, we also know even after the war, even after the war, I noticed for a fact, after the war, she came to start Yisrael. Well, she, it's a whole story. She ended up in Sweden. That's where she met my grandfather. I believe in the back of that book, there are some writings about that. Yes, yes. They went to Yisrael. My grandfather founded a yeshiva. What they had to endure during the early years of that yeshiva, unimaginable. The poverty, the, po- the grinding poverty, mm-hmm. and this is after the war, you know, in the Jewish and democratic, of course, uh, state of Israel. She actually went through actual hunger, and mm-hmm. no one knew about it. No one knew, but she she never allowed any of her own pain and suffering mm-hmm. to filter out in, in any way, which is an incredible, incredible strength and and, and tenacity and, and fortitude. My grandfather himself didn't even know what she was going through. Wow. Uh, how do I know that? Because I read the secret uh, writings that I cannot share. But that's just, you asked about her. But yeah, she's very sweet. Very I'm sweet. Aware of it. Very sweet. And, and just. Their relationship must have been Her emuna, her emuna, her, her faith. They must have her treated indomitable each other. spirit. I could just picture them treating each other with such dignity and. Un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, she came from a very prestigious family. Did she have any siblings that survived? Was she that- she was one of eight. Uh, four were killed and four survived. Hmm. Um, giants, all of them giants. You know, three three sisters. Uh, one married my grandfather. One married uh, Rabbi Kreisworth, the chief rabbi of uh, Antwerp, okay. and uh, and one married Rabbi Rosenberg, who was the chief of Slabatka. Like all titanic wow. And the brother that survived was uh, the great uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Grudzinski, one of the most uh, special, special... My Sandek. That's right. One of the most special oh, people, uh, oh, really. Awesome. Well, uh, someone you can't describe in words wow. just how special of a person they were. And then four of them uh, were killed. The three brothers, Eliezer, mm-hmm. Velvolzev, and Yisrael, uh, Yisrael and, and, uh, and a sister Miriam. Wow. Um, but uh, of those, of that family, I hate to say it, she was the she was the greatest. She was the best. That's also documented. <laughs> That's how that quoted. Wonderful. Okay. Well, this was really so special. Just uh, wondering if our if our listeners want to get started on Revolvi after hearing this, they want to dig into. We didn't his. even talk about chinuch yet. Right. That's the beauty. It's all it's all chinuch. Where would you Where would you want them to start? Where would you think a good starting place to get to know Revolvi and his writings would be? I'd say probably Zriyavah bin Bichinuch, planting and building. It's translated into English also, right? It's, it's a phenomenal piece of work. Um, it's from four lectures that my grandfather gave. And I remember growing up, we used to have the cassettes 
that people would come and we'd have to find, you know, part one, two, three, four, put them in a rubber band and bring them to the door. Uh, people would come to buy the, the series. But that eventually became into the Safer. A very, very small Safer, which I'm actually in the middle of teaching now to a whole group in Hebrew. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's how I, I would second that. And just to bring it back to an earlier point, the whole major theme, the motif of the book, Zri Obinion, that's an example uh, of almost an academic way of 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 portraying a, a, an idea, you know, that that we grow into a yeah, that it is a building growth and, and and its limitations and its abilities and and the different timelines that it has versus the planting and and, and all that entails. So I I would say if I could maybe add besides for that that that's the only one really that's available in English. They have um, an anthologized. Uh, work on Chumash called Rav Wolby and Chumash that was put out by our brother-in-law. Did a fantastic job, uh, volume one, volume two. Uh, if you want to get a sense in some of the teachings uh, on Chumash of someone um, to read Hebrew, uh, the the literary contributions of my grandfather are so unique. Even Ale Shur, which is his magnum opus, right? The, even the even the hastamas that he got, mm. they all write that this is a book we've never seen before. Mm. You can't describe it. It's 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 a genre of book that there exists exactly one one volume that that fits into this genre. Really, two because volume one, and volume two. Did he? I assume he worked really hard on that, and that was part of very precise. Worked very hard. Volume one took him thirteen years. Volume two took him fifteen years. Wow. Yeah, but we also have access to his manuscripts. And the amount of unpublished material, because there's lots of others from that. Here, lots of I see others they're are coming out now with the ones that other, the ones that the, the amount of unpublished writings exceeds the amount of published writings. Mm. So just very very voluminous, and um, again the the, the 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 listen his his book that he wrote for our generation is Alay Shore. It's Alay Shore, uh, volume one. It's really four different books that are merged together. But it's it's a form of hadracha. It's called shari hadracha. This is actual guidance. You want guidance. You want to be told and to be trained. It's about chinuch after all, right? This is training. It's training in in four different stages of your life. Volume one, uh, volume two. I think it's a little bit easier. It's more it's more user friendly because he's not expecting as much from the reader as as he is in volume one. In volume one, he's telling he, he's telling you stuff, but you kind of have to understand what he wants you to do on your own. In volume two, he spells it out for you. Really so similar. it's a little bit easier to read. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit of, of a, a less terse uh, book. And and again, and the, the instruction layer is much more mifurat. It's much more spelled out, much more granular. Uh, but those are definitely, if people here, people here quoted every, every, uh, yeshiva shul library has copies of it and they are magisterial works Ma- absolutely magisterial so Wonderful. i would recommend that as well thank you boy thank you boys thank you both so much for this really enlightening conversation i feel like we could go on and on there's just so much there and uh it's really inspiring that to learn about your grandfather and the impact he had on all of Kleistral and on your families so thank you so much thank you thank you Robert garfield for uh, hosting us I hope you have a lot of success with uh, your Chinuch Today podcast, but also the Chinuch that you provide for our community and our children. We're very fortunate to have you in our community Thank and you. to have your great skill and patience. I gather you may need some of that, <laughs> uh, but uh, we really appreciate having you and thank you for having us on the podcast. My pleasure. I second that. Thank you.